Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is a special bonus episode. The first of many special bonus episodes where I will be bringing in professionals in their field to discuss specific topics. And with the holidays right here, right now, what better topic to discuss than anxiety? One of the most common topics that comes up on this podcast and something I myself suffer from. So, It was really a pleasure to sit down with Rachel Breka. She is a licensed professional counselor, a national certified counselor, and uh, this time next year, or sometime around next, uh, maybe 2021, who knows, (laughs) she will be uh, a doctor. So she is getting her doctorate and finishing that up. And she sat down with me and discussed anxiety uh, and gave me a lot of great insights and definitions and hopefully shared a bunch of stuff that will help you guys out there, whether you have someone in your life that is suffering with anxiety or it's something that you've been curious about, or maybe something like me a couple of years back, you just didn't understand. Uh, it'll give you a nice, uh, rounded definition and some examples of not only what anxiety is, how to recognize it, but maybe how to help cope with it yourself or uh, your loved ones. So I really hope you guys enjoy this special bonus episode about anxiety with licensed professional counselor, Rachel Breka. Thank you for coming down here. Yeah. I don't think I've ever said down here. I always say over here. Anyway, we're in a basement. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds creepier than it is. Uh, But we are going to discuss a hot topic, something that's come up on many, many episodes with a lot of different people, mm-hmm. um, prevalent in my own life with my wife, uh, anxiety. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I want to start out with a definition because I think I myself was guilty of like not truly understanding it, which was incredibly frustrating for my wife who had suffered from anxiety for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I finally like got a definition, I realized that I too had like issues with anxiety, but I think and tell me what you run into, but people confuse it with maybe like nervous or um, overreacting. And like, what does that look like from a psychological definition? And how can we make it a little more clear for people that might not have a grasp on it so they can better empathize with people that are suffering from it? Yeah. So, I mean, stress is something that most people experience in different ways, but anxiety differs from that because um, it's really when your body has a reaction to a perceived threat that may be real or it may not be real, but you it impacts your thoughts, the way you interact with others, how you feel within your own body, and um, just your emotion in general. Uh-huh. And um, in comparison to stress, I feel like With anxiety, it really, it can be facilitative in some ways, which I think we'll talk about, but it can be really debilitating in other ways where it's just something you have to constantly cope with every day. It's a very different feeling than maybe having something sporadic happen and you weren't expecting it and having to change your schedule and that caused some stress. Anxiety is more of a general feeling um, that people may experience most days and have to cope with in certain ways to combat it. Okay. Uh, And you say the, like a, I mean, you mentioned this later on, but the fight or fight or flight, mm-hmm. right? So a problem that may be real or may not be real. Yes. Um, is it more prevalent with people that are dealing with anxiety for it to be something like they created, but it's real to them 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Without I, me sounding like an insensitive. Yes. <laughs> I think it is. It, at times can be more perceived, but it's like, let's say an event is going to happen and there's all these options. Somebody with anxiety is going to think of the worst possible outcome yeah. and it may happen. So again, it could be real, but what is real in that moment that that and based on other previous experiences and what that person is doing, that it maybe it's less likely for the worst possible outcome to happen. And that's with therapy and sort um, with your support system, you can process like, is this thought true? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what circled me around to realizing that I was struggling from anxiety the whole time that I was not really understanding my wife's anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that was, I travel for work. And I specifically took the job because I knew that I was going to have to travel for work. And I, over the years, as I got older, I grew less and less, uh, I didn't like flying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I didn't care as a kid. My parents were divorced. My dad lived in Florida. I went there two times a year at least. And it was no big deal. That didn't bother me. And I think once you become more self-aware and like aware of your own mortality, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, you start kind of looking at stuff like that different sometimes. And... So I got it kind of as like an immersion therapy, like I'm going to get this job. Like it was a promotion too. I got more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of good things to take it, but I was like, I'm also going to like have to travel. And because it's a requirement for work, it's not something I'm just going to like back out of. Yeah. So I kind of forced myself to do it. And so I created rituals to like put myself in the mindset of like, you're going to get on the plane. Everything's going to be fine. Or like, if it's not, you've made peace with X, Y, and Z and, and you're going to go like, you know, an hour to Chicago, like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these flights happen every 45 seconds and I'm in my head about it. And then one day I just like, I always play the worst case scenarios in my mind on mm-hmm. the way to the airport. <laughs> yep. One day I had like full blown panic attack on the way to the airport. I was just like in tears, convinced like if I got on the plane, the plane was going to crash and I was going to die. Mm-hmm. Still got on the plane. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> it didn't crash. I didn't die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I brought that up and I, this was like during a couple years where I was, not going to therapy. Mm-hmm. And when I started going again, I brought that up and like immediately she's like, that's anxiety. <laughs> like creating, going through all that stuff in your head all the time. Like yes. that's what anxiety is. I was like, Oh yeah. It and, can be very exhausting. Uh, yeah. I found a whole new level of empathy for my wife because mm-hmm. uh, she does the same thing with, you know, not the same situations, but that process is still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of how I discovered that I was, struggling with anxiety yeah and yeah <laughs> yeah i mean what you describe more is like situational anxiety and then i think what i was describing a little bit earlier is more like that generalized anxiety yeah which um some people diagnose as gad but it's when you feel it most days yeah and that's i was able to tie that into a bunch of other stuff once i got it but that was the trigger point that i brought up that kind of mm. interwove with the rest of my life going into the counseling profession um i, I think most counselors usually have their own story of why they want to Um, to go into the profession and help people. But for me, I would say ever since I was younger, I've dealt with some type of anxiety. Um, And I really noticed it when my parents divorced. And I think that was just with the separation of the home, wanting to please both parents. Um, Were you young when that happened? Yes, I was eight years old. Yes. And I'm one of um, eight kids, but my parents had five girls. So it it was me and my sisters going back and forth. But yeah, I think it was more of a sense of control that I wanted and predictability. And so I was really seeking to um, understand all those worst case scenarios in terms of my parents' divorce was something I did not have control over (laughs) and surprised me. Um, And so that's when I really noticed it. But I've really reflected on anxiety in my life and how it's helped me um, 
actually grow too and I think it's been really facilitative in terms of like academic performance and I'm currently getting my doctorate and I really don't think I'd be here unless I had that so I do think it helps me in some ways but I really have had to learn to understand to differentiate of like anxiety is part of me but it doesn't define me and that's something I work with a lot of my clients with anxiety um, because I think you get in your mind like I need to be able to control this like it's something about me like something's wrong with me and it's like no this is just part of who I am but it's not my full identity okay is it do you recommend like using it more as an armor than a kind of a a weakness like a hindrance do you know what I mean yeah yeah and that's what I guess I think anxiety can be facilitative and it can be debilitating depending on the circumstance I mean when you have a full-on panic attack I think it's very debilitating (laughs) in that moment I don't think that's facilitative or helping you in any way but in academics and in certain relationships I think you're more cautious I think you process things you think through things so I think it can help you in in a personal relationships and different situations at times break down different options and everything Yes. Maybe maybe sometimes to an extreme, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's a little hard to be spontaneous with yeah. anxiety, I think. <laughs> I, I love spontaneity. <laughs> this has been a debate recently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can be both, yeah. Yeah. So with Facebook, social media, uh, you know, Instagram, there's a lot of, <laughs> I don't want to say oversharing, because some of it is, mm-hmm. some of it is oversharing, but there there's definitely a lot of attention on mental health mm-hmm. and people are more vulnerable and willing to share some of the stuff that they're going through. So I don't know if you're seeing that more, like if you're seeing anxiety more because people are talking about it more, Mm -hmm. or if you're seeing it more because it's becoming more of an issue. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'd like to talk about that as well as um, what's helpful and what's hurtful with, with sharing on social media in Mm -hmm. regards to anxiety. Yeah, um, what we did, I looked up some stats um, before this, and the National Institute of Mental Health um, said that 19.1% of adults um, in the U.S. have anxiety. That's almost one in five. Yes, and it's more prevalent in women. So it's about 23.4% for women and 14.3% for men. That's crazy. Yeah, so we are seeing it more in women. Um, Back to your question, I think the climate we live in is more anxiety-provoking in general. Um, And I think with access to social media and the ages of which people have access, um, definitely is impacting maybe how some people are coping with their anxiety, where, again, I think it could be facilitative as a platform to share and relate and find other people. And then I could also see, um, we know how especially like young teens, um, middle schoolers can use it to bully and it can be a way to target people. Right. So I think that, and then that increases anxiety for individuals who already maybe have low, lower self-esteem. One in five. That's crazy. That's not, that's a, uh... That is higher than I thought it would be. Because do you think anxiety, because the light has been shined on it, like as well as things like ADHD, that it's being, I don't want to say overdiagnosed, but maybe over like self-diagnosed? Yeah, I mean, I know there's like common with ADHD, OCD. I mean, people say these things and they're like, oh, like I'm so OCD. You're like, oh, I'm so anxious. And they may be. um, But when you really think of the um, ways in which it impacts somebody's functionality who really has that diagnosis, it may not be to that extent. So maybe somebody has those symptoms for a day or like I said, it's a situation or experience. But to have six of the nine symptoms in the DSM every single day, that's a very different anxiety. Ooh, there's nine symptoms. Yes. Do you know them all? (laughs) I do not know them. Okay. Okay. I want to quiz you on that now. That was a good question. I um, actually, in my practice, don't have to diagnose. And I know diagnosing can be helpful, I think, for some people to name it. But for me personally, I don't find it 
um, very helpful to diagnose unless somebody's seeking it in terms of like, I just like to look at a person holistically and like just understand their symptoms are just maybe a result of their environment or things yeah. they've experienced and how can we work and cope through that rather than focus on you have anxiety. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about what's underneath that anxiety. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I personally think that's way more helpful because yeah. when you put a label on something, sometimes um, depending on the, the mentality of that person that can be used as almost like a rationalization later on, like, yes. oh, I do this because I'm this yep. uh, instead of being like, oh, I'm this right now because I this, this, this in my past. Yes. Like my, uh, my previous like behavioral addictions were all just like relationships with intimacy and like mm-hmm. how I handled that and how I blocked it out from my childhood and like uncovering that. I'm like, oh, so like it actually didn't have anything to do with like yes. this main thing. It was just all stuff that I was uncovering from before. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's a great way to look at it. I get the diagnosis and wanting to have that, um, just that some, something you recognize to be able to put label yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I have a chronic illness that like, I was happy to put a name on it, but I also, uh, you know, <laughs> didn't feel a lot better. I'd like to find a, a cause and a yeah, cure. A cure for yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. And how to cope with it. I guess that's what I was saying. Like, okay, we can name it and label it. That may be helpful too, but I think really learning how to cope and process and work through it is the main focus, at least for me when I see my clients. Yeah. And that's, so on the note of coping and, and, um, management methods, I wanted to shift gears. Uh, we did get some questions online in regards to anxiety, and it seems like all of them are around management and coping methods. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want, I can go through those. Yeah, that works. <laughs> so first one is, this is from Melissa, best medicine-free coping mechanisms for anxiety and depression, especially if you can't go see a therapist. Uh, can I play devil's advocate before you answer? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is uh, this is a great question, I think, to ask you. Do you think in this day and age and nothing against you, Melissa, if you're listening, (laughs) (laughs) that if you can't go see a therapist is a, is realistic? Is there, are there a lot of people you think struggling that are seeking the help, but can't get it? Oh yes. And what is that? Like, where, what does that look like? What is preventing people from getting that? Um, I think access, depending on like what area you live in, like whether it's rural or in like in close proximity, that could be one concern. Um, Insurance companies. um, I have, I'll share um, a place in which I work at. It's a clinic where there's practicum students, so counselors in training, but they aren't fully licensed where you could get free services. But it's, it is difficult to find a sliding scale, but it is available out there. I would just say it's less common. Um, And then also even access in terms of like transportation and like can people actually get there um and then the hours as well like do you work during the time in which therapy is being offered by most therapists so yeah i think there's a lot of barriers and i do think there's a lot of people needing help that aren't able to receive services i'm gonna pull my foot out of my mouth real quick um uh, i mean i think of stuff like the reason i asked that question and you just brought up a great point that i completely forgot about even though i think like uh John Oliver did an entire episode on it, which is like in North Dakota, there's like yeah. one yes. LBC for what, for Certain like five states or something, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is crazy. But I think of things like um, the app BetterHelp that's out there that like you can get, and it's not, it's obviously not in person, yeah. um, but something can be better than nothing. And I don't know what the cost is. So I'm obviously cost is always an issue for anything that you might need to seek out, especially in the medical or mental health field. <laughs> yes, there's telecounseling. Yeah, yeah, that's true. To help uh, with some of those barriers. Do you see benefits to that? Especially like especially accessibility and... Yeah, with accessibility, I would say the one thing that um, 
that always worries me because sometimes I will do sessions via Zoom, um, but I usually see them in person. So it's like, yeah. it's if they can't make it in. So it's like, I usually the relationship's mostly in person. Um, Counseling is very relational. I like to be yeah. in person to see that change for nonverbal communication. Um, but the part that I think scares me the most is um, for safety concerns. Like, how do you know the, where that person's located? How do you know the truth? You have to start each session asking their address, what like exactly where they are yeah. in terms of if they say they're suicidal, what are you going to do i mean there are you could have an emergency contact contact that person then that could be part of your own informed consent at the beginning of therapy so (laughs) i'm not again an expertise in telecounseling and i know but i would say that's the only thing that really worries me i wonder if those are like uh things that are required beforehand i mean it makes sense yeah i would hope so yeah because especially i mean if people are in a desperate place and seeking that out and like a you know, a last minute resort sort of situation. Yeah. That's definitely information that you'd want. And you also have to have your license in the state in which you practice. So it's like you can do telecounseling with counselors within your state. But like if a client goes on vacation and you're not licensed within that state, you're not allowed to Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. There's so many, so many weird stipulations state to state. Yes. I guess uh, going back to my question that interrupted the actual question, uh, best (laughs) medicine-free coping mechanisms for anxiety and depression. Uh, I'm assuming this is case by case, but I mean, go ahead and you're you're the professional here. I keep answering questions. I feel like that's a very (laughs) open question. um, And I feel like it's really individualized. Um, And kind of like you were saying, I think that anxiety, the way it manifests, um, that there's a lot of maybe underlining um, experiences and narratives that are still to process. And I think it can be really helpful to alleviate some of that anxiety to be able to really talk through and experience the emotions with maybe past traumas or experiences that really impacted you. Um, And so that's through therapy. But I guess outside of that, there are, um, I feel like there are a lot of things that you can try um, in terms of like, you know, meditation, breathing, there's a ton of apps out there. Um, One that I really prefer is the Stop, Breathe, and Think app. Um, You just check it on how you're doing that day and by like pictures, um, emotionally, physically, um, and psychologically. And then it gives you a meditation based on your mood and it's free. Stop, Breathe, and Think? Yes. What does, give me an example of what that does. Like you said he kind of checks in on you? Yeah, so it's like um, like happy, um, overwhelmed, disappointed. Like there's so many words you can choose Do you get from. like a monthly report? No, <laughs> you your, can. How yeah. your month has been going? <laughs> yeah, you can check it on your symptoms. You felt like, like shit four days of this week. <laughs> yeah, and this is, this, these are the ones that helped you, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's those. And I think there's relax- um, relaxive things you can do in terms of like yoga or to immerse yourself in flow experiences, which that's when you like do something and you're so into it that the time just like flies by. Yeah. Um, it's different for everybody. For me, it's the dog park. <laughs> I don't really notice time when I'm there. Um, for some people, it's painting. I like that that's uh, an example for you because immediately my mind went to like, oh, creative stuff. And But for people that don't I'm like not creative, do creative so. hours. <laughs> yeah, well, my wife like... like uh, I think she found her hobby in like cooking stuff. Like she mm-hmm. finds new recipes and like new yes, ways to do cooking stuff. Cooking can like, be a flow experience. Uh, yeah. So I think that's, it's great to hear examples that aren't creative stuff. Cause from my mind, I'm like, yeah, you know, like drawing or playing music or, oh, wait a sec. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's not for everybody. Um, do you recommend, and I have once again, these are blanket answers, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that's maybe not for everybody. But just on the, the end cap of that sentence, if you aren't able to see a therapist, um, and sometimes that talking and discovering something that might be underlying, obviously you want someone professional to be there for that. 
if that's not possible, uh, do you think just having the outlet of somebody that you trust that you can be vulnerable with without mm-hmm. worrying about any backlash or anything like that, talking to that person about yeah. it could be helpful? Yeah, so there are a lot of those um, like automatic negative thought patterns that can come and you may start to catastrophize like we were talking about worst case scenario. And it can be really helpful to talk with somebody you trust to ask if it's valid. So with anxiety, we have all these thoughts inside our head. And, you know, if you're constantly having them every day, all day, that can build up. It's emotionally draining. Then you start to lose, you know what is this true and then you may start to feel like some things may be true that aren't factual and so to really process with somebody and if you don't have access to a therapist but a partner or a close friend or a family member yeah I think I always tell my clients that like if you can't get a thought out of your mind and it's really starting to become intrusive ask somebody like is this true of me or like what do you think about this because I can't stop thinking it and then they can really help validate and um, process it with you I'm going to wedge my own question in here because that that just reminded me of and I'm guilty of doing this with my wife constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, if she's spiraling about something, I try to like reason with her with logic. And yeah. that is always a bad idea. <laughs> uh, can you speak to that at all? Like from, I guess the question would be, what can, if you know someone who has anxiety, what can you, or what shouldn't you do yeah. uh, if they're having, uh, not not like a panic attack, but if they're just Like you see them mentally spiraling a little bit. Yeah, I'm laughing because my husband's very logical too. (laughs) (laughs) He's an engineer, so he's like telling me. Um, I think it's helpful to ask like, what can I do in this moment to help you? Um, It can also be helpful to ask, would you like some space right now? Um, But I think it's really difficult, especially when you try to rationalize or to bring logic into it. It can be really minimizing um, for the other person who's experiencing it. Like, it, sometimes when the things that you're anxious about, like it's hard for another person to understand, like why is that making you anxious right now? And so then it's hard to empathize. So it's just, it may come across as like being minimizing or tactful in some way when you're just trying to understand. But I think just really allowing them to like process through it and then only, you know, giving them that um, response if they're asking for it, like unless they directly ask you a question, yeah. then just kind of sitting it with them in that space and asking what can you do for them. That's, that's like the hardest thing for me uh, as someone that like, I'm always trying to help. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that question, and I've been told that question before you like made a light bulb go off in my head, but, um, like, do you need space right now? Yeah. And it's probably, I would assume like the most helpful question, mm-hmm. but I'm always like, no, let me fix it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think that even people with anxiety, I think a lot of my clients with anxiety, they want a solution or how to fix it. And I think that's what I said in the beginning is you really have to learn that anxiety is a part of you and like that you can't always control it. But the feeling you have, once you're aware of it, you can become aware of it and then act on it and cope with it so that you don't have to just sit with that feeling and not know what it is because then that can start to build and that anxiety can increase and you don't want to get to that point of a panic attack. Um, And you really want to start understanding those triggers of what's causing it. Um, Our next question I have zero experience in, so I will not be offering my opinions. Um, But what are some strategies, this is from Stephanie, what are some strategies I can utilize to help kids process or overcome anxiety? I have no children. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I have zero input on this that will be helpful. So 
you're, you're the professional here. Yeah, I think, again, I think it's so, um, it's difficult because each case is so individualized, although, like, there is diagnosis in the DSM that, like, when you look at an individual, you have to see their environment, their context, what's their history, what are their relationships like, what's their fi- family dynamic. There's so many things that it's really hard to just, like, answer that question, yeah. I would say, in general. But I would say, like, um, mostly with kids, depending on the age, it's through play. So if you really want to help understand their emotions, depending on their age, if they're younger, like five to 10, you could play a game with them or buy some type of game where they could express the emotion. So it feels more comfortable. Like as a parent, if you're seeking okay. that, that could be um, useful. But then I know teenagers, um, a really great outlet is journaling. And I always ask them to do that because again, with that anxiety, those thoughts are all internal, but they may not want to share them with mom or dad or that trusted adult to process them. So then if they write in a journal, they can like at least externalize what yeah. are some of those thoughts and start to process them instead of holding that all with inside them. Yeah. I, I, I can understand the journaling, the games with the children, uh, like with five to 10, are you talking about games where they, I'm trying to, get a more defined answer on that just because I'm confused like games where they can act, like express themselves like part of the game is mm-hmm. discussing emotions yeah okay yeah. I was like or do you mean like just a distraction like let's just play Scrabble forget how you're feeling <laughs> yeah. let's just play Scrabble no you could do both so okay. it could be a game that intentionally <laughs> is towards emotion like there's um, a deck of cards with like different types of emotion where you can like ask like tell me a m- time you felt that way and again these are used more in therapy but uh, parents can use them as well but you could yeah. also just play a game to connect with your child and then to process through that okay. um, and they may be more open to sharing w- if they're doing something that's distracting them nice alright um our last question, I had to reword a little bit, but I think I got it right. And if I didn't, I'll get an email later. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I hold on to a lot of resentment from high school, um, like bull- bullies and family issues, and it creates a lot of anxiety for me. How can I control that or reduce that? I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm going to wait and see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in terms of that, I think I've kind of said this in different ways, but if, you know, there was relationships that really impacted your self-esteem and your way of, you know, the view of your own self and how you care and love for yourself, um, then the way to really process through that is going to be to go to counseling, I think, and to really understand, like, how those impacted you. Um, And then they also impact the way in which you relate with people as adults. So, like, interpersonal relationships, we learn what those look like when we're younger in those formative years, like she was describing. And so if it does impact you as an adult, that's because, yeah, there was, you know, really impactful harmful you know experiences that you had in terms of the bullying that shaped you in some way and to really understand and be able to externalize that that's not you and that maybe those people were projecting certain experiences they were having onto you and to learn to differentiate that i think by doing that then you're able to you know feel more congruent with yourself and feel more healthy um and that could lower the anxiety but i people i are always like oh this happened in my past or you'd be amazed in counseling how many people just like name these things that happen and like there's no emotion connected to it because it's like that's the way they've coped with it is that they just compartmentalized it (laughs) and i'm like okay so i'm like when you're saying that i'm noticing in my body like i'm getting a little like tense and are you feeling that and they're like no i'm like okay i think we need to like go back and process this more and so i really think some reflectivity and if counseling isn't an option like yes journaling and really maybe understanding what those experiences were and how maybe they impacted your view of self i found um this one struck a chord with me because i've learned through this podcast format and talking to people Mm -hmm. uh you know especially in high school uh, with clicks and everything like 
you have a certain point of view of people and it may you never really think about it again if you never see them but you have like prejudgments of who they were based on maybe who they hung out with or like a couple scenarios you might have seen them in or like i mean i was pushed into a locker by a kid and i know exactly who he is <laughs> and like i know what he's doing today and like yeah. so some of that stuff you don't forget but talking to people and finding out like what they were going through at that time mm-hmm. um and i'm not i don't want to ever say like so you know they didn't do anything wrong to you but understanding and being able to empathize and being like oh like they were a dick at school but they were getting the shit beat out of them at home like yes it creates a level of empathy where it's like okay i can i can move past that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's been so helpful uh and eye-opening for me with talking to people and just seeing kind of the other side that we don't think about at that age yes because we're all consumed with ourselves. Yeah, and I think, like you said, being able to externalize it, like, and I think I said that too with the terms of, like, people most times are projecting yeah. their own experiences on, um, onto you. And so um, I think something else, too, is to when maybe has maybe some of the experiences you had when you were younger, maybe they're being validated by other interpersonal relationships that you have now. And like, maybe there needs to be some boundary setting because there are people who are unhealthy, who are maybe reenacting that within your life. And that's keeping that anxiety constant. That's also something to explore. Um, You talked about therapy a lot as far as like, kind of figuring out (laughs) where your anxiety is coming from and and treating it. Um, What are some methods of management broad term um outside of therapy some yeah outside of therapy what are some methods of management yeah and um i think one thing that i think is really helpful a lot of people have heard of cognitive therapy in some way um but it it goes back to reframing those automatic thoughts so um i always tell my clients this and i remind myself this is that we all have automatic thoughts meaning we walk down the street somebody bumps us they don't say sorry we're like oh that was rude and some people can let go of it and five seconds and some people will ruminate it and think about it all day long or days yes (laughs) and that's just like one example but there's so many more and so with anxiety you tend to ruminate and continue to think about it and so the goal with cognitive therapy would be really to just be able to reframe that and shorter that amount of time in which you think about um an experience that you had but something you can do on your own and um again these are things i share with clients is when you're having a thought and you can't get rid of it write it down and ask yourself you know, is there truth to this thought? Okay, maybe there's one instant that it could hold some truth, but which ways in which could it be false? And start to identify those. And then a really other helpful question is to ask yourself when you're having these catastrophizing, overwhelming thoughts is, what would my friend say to me if I said this aloud to them? Because if you can think from somebody else's perspective, it's so much easier because we tend to give compassion to other people more than we give ourselves. And so those are three really good questions to ask yourself once you write down that thought because you're really seeking what's the validity of this thought. Yeah. I have uh, I keep hearing in books and, and podcasts I'm listening to right now along those same lines is don't say anything to yourself in your head that you wouldn't say to yes. someone else. Yeah. Like, oh, we're so self-critical and mean to ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's a good rule to try to live by. I don't think it's a hundred percent possible, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and this is, this is funny cause this is a reflection on me, but when you're going through what, what did you say, um, about what would your friends say if you told them you were thinking this? Yeah. In my mind that spiraled me further. Cause I was like, I'm creating different judgments for each friend based on what they would say based on what I told them. And then I just, yeah, maybe I reworded that wrong. What would your friend say to you? I, sorry, that's what I meant to say. Like, what would yeah. a friend? Yeah. 
Okay, so you're saying definitely friends. I'll create. I get what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Let's. I I mean, that's. It's funny because that's. Is, is, I mean, correct me, but is, isn't that just an example of what we're talking about creating? Yeah. I'm creating a worst case scenario for what will my friends say? Yes. They're not my friends. How dare they say that in my imagination <laughs> that never happened? Um, <laughs> it could also be what you would say to a friend that was having the same thoughts you were. So that yeah, could be another way. I like that one. Because I, I mean, I, I'm person to person, but I think I of yes. myself is like empathetic to a degree where. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but that goes back to me trying to fix things. I'm just fighting you on things as long as this. I want to jump back to medication because I'm curious about this, um, especially from your professional standpoint of uh, necessity, like in in the prevalence, let's say we have one in five people, right, that have anxiety. Of that, how much would you say actually require medication just in your own experience? Or maybe our numbers for that. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's so dependent. Um, and that's, um, and if you go into the counseling program, um, it depends is the answer you'll get from like every professor for every single question yeah. because it is so individualized. But medication, um, I make referrals for medication when I notice that it's impacting their everyday life and their functionality. Mm-hmm. And it's something that they've dealt with for a certain number of years. Yes, they can meet DSM di- um, criteria. But like you said, I do think there's overdiagnosing in terms of medication um, for depression and anxiety when really like there needs to be therapy in conjunction to process and yeah. work through it rather than just using medication as that band-aid. So I recommend therapy and uh, medication in conjunction, but specifically for um, anxiety, I think, again, medication when it's impacting you every single day and it's something that you've had to suffer and work through for so long I just ask my clients who feel so stigmatized it's like they know it and they're like I just don't know if I can do it and it's like once they kind of process through that stigma and maybe some of those um that negative self-talk of what it means um in terms of like some people think I'm weak or um something's wrong with me and they don't want to take the medication I kind of tried to normalize it and um one story I share with like all my clients is um just to make it you know you break a leg somebody's gonna go to the doctor get a cast and they'll be on crutches and they're okay with that but with um, mental health there just being seems to be such a stigma to actually like seek help yep. for it but I remind people it's like they think they're going to be on it their whole life you may you may need medication most of your life but you have the autonomy and control to stop when you want to stop yes you'll have to do it under a psychiatrist or a PCP because yep. once you start um, for safety you may need to wean yourself off of it um, but you can control it it's not something that's like that's not out of your you know control in terms of you can start it and you can stop it and there's um like i with anxiety specifically really what it is is we have lower levels of serotonin yeah. which is a neurotransmitter but that gets released when we sleep so i just tell my clients I'm like you literally just have less serotonin getting produced in your body this medication is going to help the reuptake you're going to have more of it just so you can relax your body because if you can physiologically relax your body then that's going to slow down your mind because you know, the fight, flight, or freeze, your body's not reacting as much, then your mind's like, wait, I'm okay. That perceived set's not as strong as I thought it was. And then you can start regulating yourself. So I always say that to all my clients because they're like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. And they feel a little bit better about it, but it's still, the stigma is so strong. Um, Do you find, and again, I think I know the answer is going to be, it depends, but (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask anyway. Okay. Uh, Do you find when you do recommend medication with people, uh, once you begin to uncover some of the root causes of the anxiety, like maybe early trauma or whatever that looks like, um, that the end goal is we start to address that 
from a therapeutic point of view and then we can get rid of the medication. Mm-hmm. Is that is that typically the goal? And then sometimes it just is a lifelong medication thing, but... Yeah, I would say my treatment plans, I, I don't really have a goal because, again, that's more of the care of the psychiatrist yeah. or the physician working with the client. Um, and, again, I make the referral, but I can't talk or speak much to it in terms of um, they need to be connected with the right professional to receive that type of care. But for clients who um, are on medication, I have heard a lot of, like, oh, I feel better, and they stop taking it. And then they realize, okay, it was really helping me, and they need to get back on it. Yeah. So I think there's um, there's kind of that placebo effect that starts in the beginning with a lot of clients. They're like, I feel great. But then they start to realize just in general their baseline increases, but that trauma and that anxiety is still, still there. there. Yeah. And that's because you need coping skills to learn how to process it. So, let's, again, it's just your baseline may increase for every day, but then there also needs to be that therapy to just learn how to cope and identify anxiety as part of you, Um, not letting it define you, but learning to live with it. Do you think there's an issue right now, an issue like deserving attention where PCPs are primary care physicians for only people that aren't aren't familiar with the lingo, uh, where they're prescribing medication for anxiety and diagnosing themselves, like not themselves, like themselves, but Mm -hmm. diagnosing the patients um, and then just giving them the medication and be like, there you go, without the patient actually having any sort of therapy. Yeah, and so, I mean, I'm hoping that it's starting to change and that, that we're starting to work more like as an integrative um um, care in terms of that I would hope, you know, PCPs can be connected with the psychologist or psychiatrist or psychologist or counselor, social worker yeah. that they're working with. Um, but yeah, I would say that there are a lot of people on medication who are not going to therapy and are continuing to get medication. Yeah. And again, like what I said, in conjunction, um, and I know in like certain research, especially like ADHD and anxiety too, where it shows that like they work best in conjunction, um, even in terms of just medication alone or just therapy alone, the results are the best for positive client outcomes for both. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, that was crazy to me when I heard that and I never really thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I got diazepam for back pain once mm-hmm. <laughs> cause it's apparently a muscle relaxer too. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had a, I was interviewing somebody and she said her PCP gave her like whatever it was Adderall or something and there was no therapy involved and I was like wait what like no offense to doctors but like everybody needs to stay in their lane to some degree you know like uh that's that's just crazy to me and I just finished a class about uh alcohol and substance abuse and like talking about you know drugs that are prescribed for this being abused and how easy that can happen because uh you know you're chasing that effect essentially yeah uh so that was crazy to me because yeah. I feel like that the therapy is the the base and then you build off that. The medication is like a branch of that tree, you know? Yeah, that's part of, uh, yes. So that was, that's just nuts to me. And I didn't know if that was like an issue that in, in your field uh, or if that's, that was like a rarity. Um, well, I think there's a really high demand for psychiatrists and there's a low supply. So like um, trying to make referrals into Henry Ford, I'm three months out and wow. trying to find connections. So that's why a lot of people are going to their PCPs is that's because nice. there's a limited amount of psychiatrists available. I did not know that. Yes. Do people go, wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are the things you learn. Uh-huh. <laughs> um and that's all the questions I had on medication, but do you want to talk about anything else on that, just on that note before we move on to some other 
No, not really. Purpose. I don't urge people um, unless I think that it would be appropriate. I may bring it up, but in most cases, um, I kind of see if clients are on it, and then I ask if it's something that they're wanting to be on or something to process. And then again, I'll make a referral if I really see it's impacting them every day. And there's, because um, I mean, with anxiety, there's the chemical component um, that's hereditary, and then there's also environmental. And if I just think that there could be some increase in serotonin, it would really help. I'll make the referral and hope that they seek that um, connection. Okay. For the people that might be listening to this and have never have zero experience with any form of therapy, Mm -hmm. uh, which I feel like is a huge chunk of people like the stigma may be dropping, but that like that still exists. And there, there's a level of how do I even begin? Where, where would you recommend people even begin with all that? Because it can be overwhelming to the point where you're like, never mind, we're not going to do this. Yes. Uh, so yeah, Uh, How do you overcome that and maybe make it a little more simplistic for someone that has no knowledge of that field? Yeah, so there's um, a website called psychologytoday.com. That's a magazine, isn't it? Yes, yeah. (laughs) Um, And actually, it's really great because you can type in your area code at the top, and then it will bring up um, professionals and counseling, social work psychologists, psychiatrists, so people within the mental health field that are within your area. And then you can also um, choose your insurance that... um, your type of provider and then you can also choose the presenting concern in which you're seeking help for and Mm -hmm. then once you do that it will um, filter out and come up with a therapist that um, may work for you and then you can click on these certain individuals and you can start reading their bios and so um, I always joke with my clients because where I work they um they have the option to work with me for free or I can refer them. But like if our relationship isn't working or like we aren't connecting, then therapy is not going to work because yeah. relationship is the most um, impactful outcome of counseling that's really going to help with change is that relationship dynamic. So I always joke and say it's like dating. Like if it's not working or not connecting, then you need to move on. And so I think it's um, awesome for psychology today. um, The therapists have to pay to be on the website. And so they are screened. And again, you can read their bios. You can read um, reviews from um, clients if they're willing to share. And then again, it can be based on your insurance provider, the area in which you reside and the presenting concern and what you're seeking help for. So it's a very helpful free resource. um, psychologytoday.com i would say uh just from my own experience when you get to the point where you are reading bios and stuff mm-hmm. um i pick people pick, i don't know i say people i have a person <laughs> but uh i picked her because i know i'm going to be more comfortable talking to a woman than a man mm-hmm. uh, but i also know that she has to be like my age or around my age because yeah. like you know as we discussed before we started recording, like I have a filthy mouth (laughs) and you know, I'm not going to be in there with like a 75 year old lady and feel comfortable being like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) cut that out. (laughs) But, uh, seeking out people that you're comfortable talking with, like generally, Yes. Like, you know, gender and age Yeah, in terms, yeah, race, gender, age, religion, like, and those are things that may not be shared in the bio, but from the picture and usually from some demographic information, but you can always call. Again, I, Tim, before you do that intake, maybe learn a little bit um, about that person and see if you're going to be able to work with them, Um, because I think that's really important that you have that connection to be vulnerable with somebody. Well, that's a good resource. I didn't know that. I didn't know they did that. I knew that was a magazine. <laughs> I didn't know that you could uh, you could find providers on there like that, and that specific too, with yeah. your uh, insurance and everything. Yes, and psychiatrist yeah. as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would. Uh, I mean, I would recommend people definitely look into their insurance. Uh, call your insurance company from personal experience. Yes. Call them before you go and find out what you're going to be paying. 
Yes, so definitely, yeah, <laughs> once you find it, then to also, yeah. I, like I said, call and see what the insurance um, billing would be yeah. um, to make sure it's affordable. Yeah, I guess both of them could tell you, right? The office and the and your insurance company. Yeah. Yeah. I would recommend calling both just because I've had yes. bad experiences. <laughs> but um, that's a great place to start. Um, There's also, I wanted to mention... Um, I work at the clinic, so um, part-time, but it is the training clinic at Oakland University, um, and it's called the SHS Center, and it's located in Poly Hall. Um, it is counselors in training, so the sessions are video recorded, but they're heavily supervised, and the recording is for the students, not for um, the clients, but it is a free service, and it's in a beautiful building, and um, we just went through another um round of counselors and training and we got great positive feedback from the clients um the only thing i would say it's mostly short term in terms of your you can work with a therapist for about six to eight sessions and okay. then you could come back the next semester but it would be a new counselor so i would think um you know for more presenting concerns where you want to alert work long term with somebody to maybe not come to this facility but if you are looking for anywhere from three to eight sessions they are free um, and if you want, you can um, look it up at Oakland University, the SHS Center. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So that's, I mean, for people that are not sure where to go mm-hmm. and not sure if like therapy is right for them, that yeah. might be a great place to start as well. Uh, and I would say, don't be scared of the videotaping. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, that's why, like I said, it's for the counselors and training, yeah. but, um, and you won't even notice that they are recording. It's just part of the process, but um I, like I said, it's free and we have a variety of people come in seeking services and um, get really positive feedback. That's awesome. Um, side note, is that, do they do, um, it's not career therapy, but like yeah. job placement stuff in that same building. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I went there for that once and the I, did the, yeah, I did the test yes, and the everything. ACCC. Yeah. Yes. We're right located in the same exact location. I love the results of that test. <laughs> I don't have like degrees in those inventory. fields. So. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I agreed with everything. Like, I was like, oh, all this makes sense. It's <laughs> like, I went the wrong direction in school. <laughs> Why didn't I go into technical writing? Um, <laughs> cause who would think that ever back to management methods? Yeah. Uh, so outside of therapy, uh, there's some stuff on here that I'm excited to talk about. So yoga, I mean, personally, I'm for those of you, I don't know if anybody actually listens that doesn't know me, but <laughs> I'm 6'3", 250 pounds. I am a giant frumpy person. Um, <laughs> so I have I have hangups about going into a yoga studio, yeah. and especially like for the first time, even if it's like a beginner's class. I'll be like, yeah, but I'm like a real beginner. Mm-hmm. Um, me too. <laughs> I, so where, where can people start there? Why would it be beneficial? Yeah, so in terms of yoga, it really does connect your body and mind. And again, with the anxiety piece, um, I would say most people, when they describe it, they may have, you know, some of the catastrophizing thoughts, but it's really within your body in which you feel it. And whether that is, you know, um, the tense in your chest or the sweating or the increased heart rate. Um, and really, when you learn to connect and regulate your body, then you can really start to process those emotions and those okay. thoughts and be more present. And so, I mean, I, uh, to be honest, I don't do yoga, but I have tried it and I found other um, outlets and flow experiences that have helped me. Yeah. But people can have a lot of flow experiences within yoga and another thing that i think is really beneficial is you can just go online now so like you described yeah. classes are it's so expensive and you may find it um connection and support and if it, you can afford it i actually think that being in that community can be really healthy but if not you can also do a 10 or 15 minute relaxation yoga video on youtube yeah. and 
then why not? <laughs> and, um, yeah, well, just to myself. be like that present and connected to your body, we don't take time in our day to do that. So yeah. although you may be a beginner um, yoga um, person or you may try it on your own or there's other ways in which you're connecting with your body, I think it's just giving that attention and space to be able to do so. Yeah. And like you mentioned with the breathing with yoga, um, especially with panic attacks, but even with anxiety and day to day, it really gives you control over that breath again and allows you to know that um, that is something you're in control of. So although your anxiety may be out of control and people are, I, I don't, I think once you get to that panic state, it is hard to control it because it had already happened, but we can implement um, strategies for once you start having those catastrophizing thoughts and you're noticing your body reacting, what can you do in that moment to prevent it from getting to that space where you do lose control of the breath for yeah. a moment? Um, I think the, I just want to do a little bit more on the therapy essentially. Um, trying to follow your notes on the cognitive behavioral therapy and reframing psychoeducation. I don't think I really talked about, and this is kind of my own perspective of anxiety, but yeah. I think um, for myself and something I'm kind of working on too within my dissertation is kind of understanding um, anxiety is being facilitative in some way and kind of reconstructing the meaning of it because I wonder sometimes, um, and I ask myself this, like, what is my anxiety protecting me from? And so the anxiety is something I notice and I name and I, and I, and as an anxious person and as my clients who are, um, anxious individuals name, they're like, I know I'm having anxiety and they're just like, I'm anxious. Okay. So you're anxious. But then when you really start to process what's underneath that and maybe what's, um, you know, what's triggering some of that anxiety, I think then that kind of gives you an understanding that the anxiety may be what's getting expressed because again, there's that perceived threat, but what's that perceived threat coming from? And what I learned from working with my clients and through myself is like, there really is underlining trauma. There's grief. There's this um, lack of control or feeling incongruent from yourself. And so like the anxiety in some ways giving you that power yeah. when you feel powerless in these other parts of your narrative. And so I think sometimes I wonder, I'm like, what is my anxiety helping me with? And even with clients with OCD, um, I think it really is so interesting. And sometimes what the anxiety and the OCD symptoms may be helping them with in terms of, um, I had one client share with me, like that was a way in which she was able to connect with her parents is I'm anxious right now. They connected with her that's what she wanted was that relationship and for them to be um, attending to her in some way. And so I think that's just one example, but there's so many more of like, what is anxiety? Um, what maybe, what is my anxiety protecting me from in this moment? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I did that. I don't know. I don't know if it's anxiety related or not, but I, I went into, I went into therapy one day and I was like, I get so angry when I'm driving home mm -hmm. <laughs> down telegraph at like 4 PM. <laughs> and, uh, She's like, why do you think you're angry? I was like, because these guys are driving like a dickhead. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> nobody's going to speed limit. She's like, but like, why? And like, I was very, uh, I pushed back a lot on like uncovering a deeper meaning behind why I was pissed mm -hmm. off when I was driving. And lo and behold, we were able to do that. Yeah. Like to a degree. Like there's yeah. still like just a level of inconsiderate. I'm like, damn it. But. Yeah, but what's happening in those instances is your body's being is already dysregulated, maybe from previous experience you had, or something that um, maybe happened at work, or maybe something you know that's from a past um, experience that you had that's impacting you, and it like got um, reconnected for you in some way. But your the environment is 
then contributing to that dysregulation you're already feeling in your body. And so then understanding, okay, yes, maybe that's triggering me a little bit because I'm already feeling dysregulated. And then understanding where is that dysregulation coming from? What happened? I think that's that's one of the healthiest ways I think I've heard to to deal with it is just asking that question. What is it like in this current state? (laughs) Yeah. Like, why do I feel this way? What is, what is it? What is it? What is it protecting me from? Yeah. So what is my anxiety protecting me from? Because I have so many clients being like, I was so anxious. And then we spend the whole session, like understanding maybe what happened that past week that really, or in the past that, um, that was connected with anxiety, the day in which they felt it or the intensity, which they did. And then there's so much clarity and it's almost like these aha moments. And it's like, oh, I didn't even know that, that that would be related. But the emotion maybe that most people recognize and name is that anxiety when really there's maybe that grief, loss, um, sense of failure. There's so many other things underneath it. Yeah. I think, I mean, my own experience with myself and and my wife is the sense of failure is, is something that can, like if you have something coming up or it's even if it's completely illogical, yeah. I play that game a lot in my head, um, yeah. that you, you're going to like fail at something, but it'll run your entire week. Yeah. And that's that catastrophizing thought. So like, I think I um, talked about that a little bit before, but it's kind yeah. of like, um, like some good examples of that are like, if a student is like, um, they fail one exam and then they're like, I'm going to drop out of college. I'm not going to be able to pursue my career. It's like very fast. They get to that point and yeah. they start to believe that catastrophizing thought. Or, you know, a mother may forget a snack for one of her children for school. And then it's they're like, die of hunger. yeah. And then they're like, I'm a <laughs> terrible parent. And then yeah. it's like, what's the validity of that? And that's kind of when you go back to that cognitive therapy, which again, you can do with a therapist, but you really can do on your own by writing down those thoughts and trying to combat them. Yeah. Um, the holidays are next week. Yes. Well, the holidays are all the time right now. Let's yes. not single anybody <laughs> out. We're between Thanksgiving and Christmas. There's all sorts of holidays, but uh, they're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> High stress time. Yeah. Um, just, uh, I mean, <laughs> and for me, please, advice. Dealing <laughs> with family and uh, maybe you're concerned about money or, you know, I mean, there's 9 billion triggers for stress this mm-hmm. time of year. Uh, what would you recommend as people are maybe like having family over or out and about shopping or putting those those pressures on themselves? Yeah, there can be a lot of expectations around the holidays. <laughs> yeah, in terms of even like gift giving or hosting or just um, the relationships you have with people and what they're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, your body, a lot of people around the holidays for some reason like to comment on what people eat. And there's a lot of anxiety for many reasons, for many yeah. presenting concerns around the holidays that um, as a clinician, I do see increased anxiety around those areas. Um, but I really think having boundaries for yourself and being aware of that. And so if you're in a conversation and it's really triggering for you and it's really unhelpful and maybe there's talk about body image or maybe there's conversation um, about um, some relationship dynamic that you don't want to process in that moment and it's just you're at a holiday party and it's not the time and space to really allow yourself to step away from that conversation and be okay with that. Um, and I guess the boundaries is like the hardest part, yeah. but, and it sounds, it's way easier said than done because in terms of, you know, there's that relationship and you want to connect and you're in a public place at a party in some way or whatever it may be. Um, but really knowing that you can say no to people. And, um, I think sometimes it's hard to do that again, but you, 
I think caring for yourself as much as you care for other people in that moment too, but knowing that there are certain situations that are going to increase that anxiety, but you don't have to sit within it. Maybe yeah. for a minute and, okay, I'm going to be anxious for this little bit, but then allowing yourself and giving yourself that permission to like take care of you and step take a away. Break. Yeah. <laughs> or not even go, upstairs. like literally don't go. Like yeah. if there's something that you just know is not going to be worth your mental health, then you don't have to go. Yeah. yeah family can definitely be something that's hard to... Uh, yeah. walk away from and just be, no we're not going to talk about that right now <laughs> yeah that's why i was saying i know those conversations but if you have some type of scene in your mind before you go like i don't want to talk about that right now or can we talk about this after the holidays yeah. or something in mind so you can really set that boundary yeah boundaries are super important <laughs> that's, yes. boundaries can define my whole year um <laughs> Did we cover everything you want to cover? Um, in terms of like the breathing, I know I said the Stop, Breathe, and Think app. There's also the Calm app, which a lot of people use, and it's free. Um, but I something I always recommend to clients, especially with anxiety, and for people like myself, it's really hard just to be like, focus on your breath. And I'm like, I need something. Like, or I'm gonna, my thoughts are going to be yeah. overwhelming until you learn to master it a little bit more. So I'd recommend for people who have that to use guided imagery because it's going to talk you through a scenario that's going to help you become calm and present while focusing on your breath but somebody's like talking to you and helping you imagine something rather than just being like focus on your breath as you inhale feel the breath through your nose yeah. breathe out and for some people that's too anxiety provoking to even try to have that type of focus because again they are so dysregulated in their body they need something else so the guided imagery will again give you an image to guide you through what's an example of like guided imagery think of um, your best childhood memory now take yourself to that place now tell me like what you're seeing in that place. What are you smelling? What people are around you? What are you wearing? What's the temperature like? And that's like a guided so imagery. So just really like laser lining your focus yes. internally. But uh, it's, but it's in so individualized. Yeah, yeah, healthy yeah. and it's individualized. So you can have the same concept and like work with many people or it can just be, um, again, one-on-one -on -one and you can YouTube videos where it's going to help you take you to a place that you know is going to relax you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing all this. Um, not too much longer. I'll just call you Dr. Breka. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Hopefully in like a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, but thank you so much for doing this. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I think we're going to help some people this holiday <laughs> season and beyond. Uh, and everybody out there, personal experience. Uh, yeah. Go see somebody. If you mm -hmm. think <laughs> if, if any of this speaks to you, just have a conversation. Pay your copay and have a, have a conversation or go for free. I'm going to plug that one more time because I think that's really cool. Um, at Oakland University, the SEHS Center, you can call them, 248-370-2633. That's, that's an awesome outlet because cost, obviously, like we talked about, is a huge deal. So. Yeah, so you can call and do the intake over phone, or if you go to their website, you can also do the intake online. That's cool. It's a free service. Mm -hmm. And not just anxiety. Yes. All sorts all of for, stuff. Yes, all presenting concerns. <laughs> Well, that's cool. Um, thank you so much for coming and, and talking about this and sharing your expertise. And hopefully we'll help some people this year. Okay. <laughs> this, the last couple of weeks of this year. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode with Rachel Breka about anxiety. Hopefully you guys got some great coping methods. Maybe your family's coming over. Maybe you're going to your family's house. Maybe there's some topics of conversation that just trigger you. Uh, this is a great thing to listen to and get some advice from. And once again, if that's something you're interested in seeking out some help for, there are a number 
of methods out there that you can use to do that. And I hope you do that and feel better because all I want is for you guys to feel better. Thank you for listening. I love you. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at friend request pod or Twitter at friend request JL. And you can review and send me messages and uh, send your love because I'm sending my love to you guys. Thank you for listening.